So um, our gospel today comes from John's gospel. Last week we heard from Mark's gospel. It talks about John the Baptist, and Pastor Brian's text last week was, was, was very similar to this text in some ways. There's a different element in this text this week, though, in that John talks about light. And that'll kind of be our theme for this day. But the Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from, the Jerus from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, friends, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so when I think about power, most naturally I think about uh, the elements, um, the natural elements like earth and water and air and fire. Because they are examples of raw power. They're powerful forces. And they are fascinating and frightening at the same time. Air is something special, right? We need it to breathe. But in the form of wind, like derechos and tornadoes, it's devastating and lethal. Water, of course, we need it to drink, but in the form of hurricanes and tidal waves, it devastates communities. Some of you might remember the tsunami in 2004. Remember that? One tidal wave, one wave killed 230,000, say that again, 230,000 people. One wave of water. 
fire. We witnessed this past spring the fires in Canada and fires out in California. Remember the plumes of smoke, that it affected the air quality here and in other parts of our country. Fire is raw, uncontrolled power. When these elements are harnessed, they certainly can be used for good. But in their raw state, they exert a powerful force beyond what we can imagine sometimes. Destructive power that we have no way of containing or controlling. Interestingly, we as human beings spend much of our lives in a battle to control or obtain power, or maybe even fight power. The power humans seek is the ability to wield force or authority or influence over others. Sometimes that's a raw, natural, physical force, but mostly it's an influential, controlling type of force or power. And whether it's social power or personal power, we feel, or at least we think we do, we feel our best when we feel we're in control, in control of our lives, our surroundings, our relationships, our world. And this is the story of humanity since the beginning of time. It has never gotten old. Power or to have power over someone has always been sought. So when we contemplate the gospel of John's light coming into the world this Advent, we need to ask ourselves what we really think of that. We won't readily admit it, but we are Creatures obsessed with power, even our own power. But we're also, we also like to make sure that that power remains in our hands, safe in our hands. We don't want other people to have that power. For me, one of the hardest things about leadership, and whether you're a a senior minister or a manager or a director or some kind of executive level, right? One of the hardest things is relinquishing power. It's not only a risk, it's a loss of control to let someone have some of your power. To give people on our staff my power, if you will, is to let them make the decisions, let them succeed or maybe even sometimes fail. Let them speak their voice. Let them share their thoughts and opinions. I admit sometimes, you know, I, I just want to make the decision. It's easier for me just to do it. It's safe in my hands because it'll get done the way I want it to get done. Or so I think. Isn't that how we often think about life? If we can control it, if we can have the right person or the right group of people in control, we think we feel safe. 
So this thought of an outside power somehow changing us into something unknown and mysterious is really, it scares the bejesus out of us. And yet it happens every single day. Light, like fire, even comes from fire, doesn't it? The sun. Light is power. Light changes everything that it touches. In the beginning of creation itself, light came into the world and changed everything. It was the very first act of God, the very first act of creation. Let there be light. Light allowed for life and growth to happen, for change and adaption to take place. Light stimulates photosynthesis and circadian rhythms. It stimulates our vision and our brain's concept of time. Light is the power source of life. So again, long ago, when John the Baptist told us light was coming, a powerful Messiah who would change everything, not everyone saw that as a good thing. It made many people nervous. What would this kind of power coming into the world do to the status quo, to life as we knew it? to their comfort levels, to their lives. What would it look like to have God among us in this world? God who, has been, who at that time had been silent for, for years, for decades, for centuries. And not only that, would we know this light if we saw it? In the story I just read, John the Baptist says, the one standing among you. Jesus was standing among the people and they didn't even know it. What would happen? Even John couldn't answer these questions. He didn't know himself. All he knew was that he was called by God to announce this light, to announce the existence and the anticipation of this light, a Messiah so powerful it would change everything. And as we heard last week, we heard again today, John called for people to make straight the way of the Lord. To straighten up their lives in expectation for God's presence. They needed to open the curtains of their lives and let the light in. Let the light of God into their hearts. To remove the obstructions that prevent God's light from shining in. To be willing to receive the power of God's light arriving in the form of Jesus, who would baptize with fiery power, fiery light, with the fiery light of the Spirit, and purify them in ways that would singe their very souls 
through Jesus, God would tattoo his signature upon the people's hearts as the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah tell us in Scripture. John knew that his job was to call people to clean up their act and to allow light into their lives. And he knew that the Messiah would change them. This is important. The Messiah would change them, not John. He helped them by pointing to the light that was coming, hoping to urge them with excitement and curiosity. But his job stopped there. Only the Messiah could affect real change, lasting change, right? John's job was recognition. Jesus' job was and is transformation. You know, it's, it's difficult for us to compare this world, right, with past times in history. I don't do a lot on Facebook when I see, but some of the things, I always see the comparison between sports players, right? Michael Jordan versus LeBron or um, Shaquille O'Neal versus Wilt Chamberlain, right? They pick people from different eras of time and pit them against each other, right? And we try to say, who was the better player, right? And I wonder about our world, right? We think today our world is way better than it was 2,000 years ago. We have paved roads. We have running water. We have all these luxuries in life. Our life had to be way better than what their life was. Was it? Is it? I mean, it seems like we live in a dark, untrusting world of doubt and disbelief. Many people have lost hope in the power of change for what feels like a never-ending cycle of pain and hopelessness. Most people today have lost faith in the existence that something lies beyond our comprehension. Many people have lost faith in the might and power of God for change when we see the world as it is today. You know, Christianity, for the first time in American history, Christianity is below 50%. And odds are it's probably less, much less than that. Most people have lost hope in miracles or lost faith in the truth. A truth that goes beyond divisional or political claims. A truth about who Jesus is about who God is, and a truth about who we are in perspective to God. Yet even in these places and times of darkness, the light will shine most brightly when it appears, right? The darkest places will recognize the light the most when it arrives. I mean, Jesus left our world for sure, but Jesus didn't leave us alone. Jesus sent the Spirit to guide and to empower us, to infuse us with love and life and hope. But many times we need help to believe 
the presence is real. That God is walking with us. One of the stories, amazing stories of healing that takes place in Scripture is when Jesus heals a blind man with mud. Do you remember that story? Jesus picks up some dirt. He spits in it, mixes it up. You know, you used to do that, make mud pies when you were a little kid. Jesus makes a little mud pie in his hand. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He didn't do that. He makes a little pie in his hand, right? And then he takes the mud and he puts it on this guy's eyes. And he says, go wash. And the guy goes and washes. And once he gets all the grime away from his eyes, his eyes were made new. And it was not just his eyes that changed, but he could, he could, he, he could sense his spirit had changed. And he was made anew, not just physically, but from inside. And in a sense, this is what John is calling us to. To agree, to be willing to, made, to be made new. To offer up our eyes and our spirits and our hearts to be cleansed. And so in this, John asks us to receive light, the power of light. Now, friends, it's frightening for sure, right? Change is always frightening. I've said this before. Uh, part of the reason why change is frightening is because what we lose when change happens. Sometimes we don't mind the change, but we don't want to let go of what we lose because of the change. You understand what I mean? I, I, and I'm teasing here. Let me say this. Right? But like pews, for instance. Let's say we talk about pews in a church. Right? I mean, most of us grew up with pews in a church. Right? In our mind, that's kind of embedded in our mind. That church, pews, church. Right? Right? But I think almost everybody, yeah, everybody, has told me that these chairs are so comfortable. They sleep so well in my sermons. <laughs> but they're better than what they anticipated, right? But it's the look of a pew in a church. It's the, the feeling. It takes you back nostalgically, right, to remember what church was like when we sat in pews. So change isn't so hard in, in that we don't like to change. It's just we kind of lose something when we change that we really liked. But secondly, change is frightening because we think it's usually someone else that needs to change, not us. You know, if that person would just change, our office would be so much better. If those people would just change, that neighborhood could be so much better. And that's just it. That's the problem with change. We focus on what others need to change and simply neglect or ignore what we need to change. I always, always tell people about the, the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the 
things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. One of the wisdoms in that is that I can't change other people. And usually if I want to see a change in someone else, it probably starts with me to begin with. So in the Advent season, we often talk about preparation. Everybody's getting ready for parties and and things that are coming up this next week and a half, two weeks, and all kinds of wonderful celebrations, right? And we talk about preparation, but I disagree with the church because I think that's the wrong word. Because preparing, and for me, preparing implies that I somehow have control over what's going to come in and how it comes in. And how it happens. It implies for me that we we do something for that change to come in. And I think that's false. Because it's going to happen anyway. Jesus comes anyway. Whether you're ready or not, Jesus comes. Jesus will come again, whether you're ready or not, whether you're prepared or not. And so instead, I think Advent and Lent and any other season of the church, really, it's about willingness. Are you willing to let the light into your life to change you the way God wants the light to change you? Not the way we think (laughs) that we want God's light to change us to let God change us the way God wants to change us. You know, in uh, our AA, one of the AA readings, it says, um, uh, it talks about, the will- it says, are you willing to go to any lengths to get it? Most people, when they're reading that, if they're new, they miss it. They don't see that part. Are you willing to go to any lengths to get it? And I think that's what Advent and Lent and all the seasons that we celebrate is about. Are you willing to let the light allow you to see yourself as you truly are? Are you willing to let that light change you from the inside out, which will upend your entire life probably? And most of all, are you willing to let go of power and control and fear and doubt to embrace embrace the life-changing light of Jesus? For with it, you'll find your true self and you will see the power of God within you. God's power is fascinating and terrifying. I mean, in one sense, when you think about God and God's creation in this world and the universe, we're just a small speck in all of it. And yet, when the light comes on us, when the light of God comes upon us, God makes us bigger because of God's love for us. God makes us more important than what we can even imagine. If we allow ourselves to step in that light, God renews us and remolds us. We have testimonies of lives that have been permanently altered by God's light. 
Stories that do happen every single day. Stories where healings and recoveries from addiction and people uh, experience forgiveness. Where miracles happen and compassion is shared. These are people who have seen and recognized the light of Jesus in their lives. And they have trusted enough to open up to let that light in. And have Jesus take a hold of their broken bodies and broken hearts. And make them new. To etch his signature right into our heart. And when that happens, we welcome the light. And when that happens, we go tell it. And we share it. Because that light, that light changes things. That light is the source of life. So I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to put on a damper on preparations for Christmas parties or anything like that. But I do think this calls us to think about our willingness to receive light that will change the course of our lives without our control. Yeah. Yeah. Can we close with a prayer? Gracious God, we desire, we want to be the people you want us to be. And we will all confess that each and every single day, it is not easy. But because you send your light into this world, it's possible. It's possible for us to change our lives. And in that change, it's possible for us to impact or affect the lives of others. And so, God, I pray that this Christmas as we get ready and prepare for all our celebrations and gatherings, that you could leave a, help us to leave a small space in our heart to be willing to receive you and what you bring to our lives. And help us trust you and what you can do with our lives.